Psalm 56. And tonight I'd like to begin by reading this psalm, just 13 verses. So Psalm 56, beginning in verse number 1. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up. For they be many that fight against me, O Thou Most High. What time I am afraid, I will trust in Thee. In God I will praise His word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Every day they rest my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Shall they escape by iniquity? And thine anger cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. In God will I praise His word. In the Lord will I praise His word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? Tonight I want to preach to you about the fix for fear. The fix for fear. Our Heavenly Father, there are many things in this life that we are tempted to be afraid of. Many of them involve what other people say and do. Tonight we need to see from your word how we can overcome this temptation to fear. So I pray that you would bless us as we study what the Holy Spirit has inspired and you have preserved for us to be able to hold and to read for ourselves today that through it you would teach us to be more like Christ and change us into His image. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have you ever listed or looked up a list of all the different kinds of phobias there are out there? There are a lot of things that people are afraid of. In fact, I'll get you to help me out here tonight. What are some things that you can think of that people are commonly afraid of, or maybe you know of a really strange phobia that you want to share with us tonight. What is a common thing people are afraid of? All right. What would you say, Brother Brett? Spiders. Yeah. All right. Will? What? Tight spaces. Claustrophobia. Yes, sir. Levi. Snakes. Absolutely. The only good snake is a dead snake. Yeah. What's another fear? Brooklyn? A bear. I don't know the technical term for that, but it's smart. Fear the bear. Yep. A germaphobe. Afraid of germs. Conright. A fear of Komodo dragons. Komodophobia. I like it. All right. Let's get to a few more. Fear of heights. That's very common. 
Nobody said fear of the dark yet. All right, that's one. Anybody else? One they like to add? Yes, ma'am? Say that again. A fear duck is watching you. I, 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 I heard you say the technical name, but I couldn't distinguish it. Yeah, that is a thing. Not, it's not my thing, but certainly some people's things. So, all right. So all these different fears, some of them are, fu- some of them are very funny. Some of them are pretty legitimate. Um, I don't know that I have any particular phobias at this point in my life. Um, I don't think irs phobia is a thing, but... Uh, I do have a very strong disdain for cockroaches that sometimes is mistaken for fear. It's not really fear. I'm not afraid of them. I just hate them with a passion, all right? But there are some legitimate fears that people have, and you've, you've listed a number of, them, uh, number of them. Some very common ones are uh, afraid of snakes, afraid of spiders, afraid of heights. Um, Brother Darrow, you had one to add? Fear of death. Fear of death, yeah. Uh, that's a very legitimate one. Uh, nobody, did anybody say mice? No, nobody said it was somebody was thinking it, yeah. So afraid, afraid of mice. All of these different fears. And one fear that we all struggle with to one degree or another wasn't, wasn't named just now. But when I say it, I think you'll agree with me that all of us struggle with this fear in some way to some degree. And that is the fear of man. The fear of man. Now, I don't mean by that that you're afraid to be around other humans. But the fact is, the fear of man comes in many different forms, and it can be a very powerful controlling factor in our life. Sometimes we are afraid of of people that we think may be a threat to us, a threat to our safety. Or sometimes it's merely we're afraid of what other people may think and say about us. But every one of us, at least to some degree, has a certain amount or at least a temptation to have a certain amount of fear of what other people may say, think, or do. And fear is a very powerful influencer. Advertisers understand that. You know, a lot of marketing is designed to tap into people's fears. Have you ever seen an advertisement for a company that sells prepper supplies? Right? What are they doing? Well, they're, many times they're going to tap into people's fears. Now, I think it's a good idea to have some things set aside in case the worst happens or uh, you, you never know. So have a little bit of food on hand, have some extra water, those kinds of things. I'm not sure that you need three years of freeze-dried ice cream, though. (laughs) I'm just saying. But these companies out there, they know how to tap into people's fears and get people to buy things because of it, because fear can cause you to do things that you would not normally do. And I think the fear of man has got to be high on the list of the fears that will cause us to act in certain ways that we otherwise would not act if it were not for that fear. The truth of the matter, though, is that at no point should we live in fear of man or of anything else. As Christians, God has said that He hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Joshua 1.9 
says, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage, be not afraid, neither be thou dismayed, for the Lord thy God is with thee whithersoever thou goest. Truthfully, we should not live in fear of anyone or anything. That doesn't mean that we throw caution to the wind and we make foolish choices. It means we act wisely, but we do not allow fear to control us. In Psalm 56, we read a song that King David wrote at one point in his life in which he was facing a lot of, uh, of persecution from people, from men. He felt like they were getting the upper hand. He felt like he was on the verge of being swallowed up by his enemies. He says of his enemies in verse number 1, He fighting daily oppresseth me. And it was in this context of a time in which David was tempted to be afraid of what other people might do to him or what other people might say about him that he wrote this psalm to remind himself, verse number 3, What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. You see, all of us are going to be tempted to fear. doesn't matter how big and tough you are. It doesn't matter what precautions you've taken to protect yourself. It doesn't matter how much money you have in the bank. It doesn't matter how much supplies you have in storage. All of us are going to be tempted to fear because there are things in our lives that are absolutely out of our control. And sometimes things will happen that will cause us to question and doubt everything, including our safety and security, and we'll be tempted to fear. And it's at those times that we are tempted to fear, especially times when we're tempted to fear man, that we also must remind ourselves what David said in verse 3, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Let's take a few moments to look through this psalm tonight to see how David fixed his fear. Number one, let's notice the people that were his enemies. In verses 1 and 2, and then again in verses 5 and 6, David talked about the people that were out to get him. Now there were several times in David's life where he was in a very serious, a very, we would say life or death type situation because of other people's hatred for him. Two of the biggest examples of that, first of all, when he was a younger man, when King Saul was out to get him. You remember King Saul at first liked David. He, uh, uh, he, he invited him actually to come to his court and play for him. But once David started rising in prominence and the, the people began to say, seeing Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands, Saul got jealous and he began to try and kill David. Now this was not just, you know, saying bad things about him to his friends or going behind his back and, and, uh, and uh, you know, cutting him down or anything like this. He actually threw spears at David so hard that those spears stuck into the wall. He pursued David through the wilderness for weeks and months, hunting him down for the sole purpose of killing him if he had the opportunity. Some of the Psalms we know were written while David was on the run from King Saul. 
Some of them while he was hiding in a cave. You may remember on two different occasions, uh, David had an opportunity to take out King Saul himself, but he did not because he knew that wouldn't be the right thing to do. David knew what it was to have a legitimate reason, as we would see it, to be afraid of someone. Another time that this happened was when his own son, Absalom, rose up against him and started a civil war. And for another period of time, David, who had been king for some time at this point, had to flee Jerusalem, had to live in the wilderness, and had to literally run for his life. He knew what it was for people to attack him. And he describes it in verses 1 and 2. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they, may, for they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. Notice the constant pressure that David was expressing here, that his enemies just would not let up. Every single day they were oppressing him. And notice how it was not just one person. It wasn't just like King Saul or just his son Absalom. He says, many that fight against me. You know, we could also add to this list of people that hated David the times that foreign armies and foreign kings were trying to attack David and take him out. But look at verses 5 and 6 and And I I want to show you how this got very, very personal at one point with David. Verse 5, he said, Every day they rest my words. See the word rest there, W-R-E-S-T. It doesn't mean rest like take a nap. It means rest as in wrestle, like to twist up and to torment. One of the things that his enemies were doing to make David's life miserable is they were twisting his words and making it seem like he was saying things that he wasn't saying. Now, you've probably been in that kind of a situation where people have taken something you said completely out of context and tried to make it mean something that you didn't mean. You know how frustrating that is, and you know how bad that makes you feel as rumors like that began to spread about you that you said something when that's not what you said. That's not what you meant. He goes on, verse number 5. All their thoughts are against me for evil. These people hated David so much they couldn't think one kind thought about him. They gather themselves together, verse 6. They hide themselves. They mark my steps. They wait for my soul. They were looking for opportunities to attack David. This was a very personal problem that David was having here. These people were out to get him. So notice number two, his prayer. Back in verse number one, he begins this psalm with this simple request, Be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me. So it's significant, first of all, that with this problem he was facing, he took it to the Lord in prayer. He went to God with his problem. That's important. Because we are to cast all our care upon Him, knowing that He cares for us. We're to be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let our requests be made known unto God. 
We are to take our problems to the Lord. And so David does that. But notice the specific thing he's requesting here. He asks for mercy. For mercy. You know, there are a lot of things he could have asked for in this situation. He could have asked for strength to be able to defend himself. He asked, could have asked for grace to be able to endure it. He could have asked for God to turn the tables on his enemies and so that he could sit back and watch them get what they deserve. But he begins his prayer by asking God for mercy. Mercy is when you do not get the punishment that you deserve. Why would David ask for mercy? Well, let's go to that illustration of the time that he was on the run from his son Absalom. If you remember the story of David, that occurred after David's sin with Bathsheba and murdering her husband Uriah the Hittite. And as a consequence of David's sin, he was told by Nathan the prophet that there would be a rebellion from his own house. His own children would rise up against him as a consequence of his sin. And when Absalom rebelled against King David, and King David was on the run, King David knew, you can see this in his story on several occasions, it's very evident that he knew that he was enduring that as a consequence of his own sin. He knew that that was a part of God's punishment. Mercy is when you don't get the punishment you deserve. And there was an aspect of David's trial here where he was being oppressed by other people that he understood that there was a part of it that he deserved what he was getting. Now let me make an application to us here tonight. The truth of the matter is we don't deserve an easy life. I know we all want an easy life. And I know that we all kind of think we should have an easy life. But the truth is... We are all sinners who have offended a holy God. And we do not deserve any good thing. The only reason that there is any joy, any happiness, anything other than misery and pain in our life is because God is a God of mercy. And so what David prays for here is that God would be merciful to him in this time that he's tempted to fear. We don't deserve an easy life, but what a blessing it is that we serve a God who does not always give us what we deserve. In fact, he delights in giving us the good things we do not deserve. That's most evident, of course, in salvation. The Bible says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his what? Mercy, He has saved us, Titus 3, 5. God is good and plenteous in mercy, Psalm 86 and verse number 5 says. God is a God of mercy. And that's why He invites us in Hebrews chapter 4 to come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So he goes to God in this time that he is tempted to fear and he doesn't go to God demanding God fix his problem or demanding that God deliver him or demanding that God empower him to not be afraid. He goes to God and humbly requests 
that God would be merciful to him. There's the prayer, a prayer for mercy. But number three, I want you to see that there is contained in this psalm also a lot of praise. Look at verse number four. In verse three, he makes this decision. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. And in verse 4, he immediately turns to praising the Lord. He says, in God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust, I will not fear what flesh can do to me. Look at verse number 10. In God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. You know, a lot of times when, we're, when we are in a scary situation where we're tempted to be living in fear, praising God is not even on our radar. We're so consumed with our problem and our uh, whatever it is that's, that's frightening us that, that the idea of stopping and just praising God for anything sometimes can be far from our minds. But in the midst of his difficulty, he doesn't forget to praise God. And notice what he praises specifically. All three times in verse, verses 4 and 10 that he uses this phrase of praising the Lord, he says he praises the Word of God. I praise His Word. I praise His Word. I, pray, I will praise His Word, he says. He is doing something very important here. By praising God and specifically praising the Word of God, David is adjusting his focus. He's turning his attention from his problem, from what, is, what it is that's tempting to frighten him. He's turning his attention from that to the Word of God. That's very important. Because what you focus on is going to determine the direction and the decisions that you make. Getting your attention off of the problems onto the one who is bigger than all of your problems is one of the most important things you can do. And praise is how you can do that. As I think about him praising the Word of God specifically, I can't help but note the contrast here when he said about his enemies that they would rest his words, but yet he's saying, I'm going to praise the Word of God. You think about the words of man. One of the worst ways that people hurt us are with the things they say. Our tongues are very powerful. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And the thing about your words is that once you say them, you can never take them back. Once you cause that hurt with the things you say, you can never erase it. You can apologize, you can make amends, you can reconcile, but you can never erase it. What's done is done. And when we think about one of the things that we fear the most about other people is what they might think and say about us. Every one of us does not like the idea of our reputations being slandered. We don't want people going behind our back saying things about us. We don't want them coming to our face and cutting us down. We want people to say the truth about us, and hopefully that's positive truth. But sometimes people maliciously will slander us. Sometimes they will go behind our back 
and they will say bad things. Sometimes they'll be a hypocritical liar and say nice things to our face while saying things about us behind our back. They may lie directly to us. Man uh, may give us their word on something and then go back on it. When we think about the words of man, they're so unreliable. But in contrast to that, we have the Word of God. The Word of God that is always true. The Word of God that can never fail. The Word of God that we can always trust. David knew that he couldn't trust, especially his enemies, because they might say one thing and do another. But he knew that he could trust the Word of God. And I think found in this is a very important principle for us when we're tempted to fear anything, is that we have to get back to the one thing that we can always trust, God and His Word. We have to get back to God and His Word. Because if our life is not built on the foundation of the truth of God's Word, our life is going to be built on shifting sand. We're never going to have stability. We're never going to feel secure until our life is founded on the unchangeable, infallible truth of the Word of God. David adjusted his focus in this time that he was tempted to be afraid by getting his attention back on God and God's Word. As an extension of that, I want you to notice with me our next point here from verse number 9, and that is the promise that David latched onto. He praises God for His Word, but there was a specific promise in the Word of God that David got a hold of. Look at verse number 9. He said, When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, and here it is, for God is for me. God is for me. God's on my side. That was the promise that David grabbed a hold of. In this time that he was tempted to be afraid, he latched on to this wonderful promise that if you are a child of God, then God is on your side. You know what that means? If God's on your side, you know what that means? It means that you're on the winning side. You're on the winning side. Yes, people may oppose you, people may attack you, people may generally try to make your life miserable, but if God is for you, who can be against you, Romans 8.31 says. We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And understand this, that even when you step out of line and God has to correct you, even when you sin, like David sinned, and he had to endure the consequences of that sin, God is not doing that because He hates you and He's against you. God is doing that because He loves you, and as a loving Father, He will correct you and He will chasten you. But God is still for you, even in those times of chastening. He's doing it, as Hebrews 12 says, that you might bring forth the peaceable fruit of righteousness once again. God is for you. No plans made against you will ever destroy you. Nothing that man could do, nothing that the devil himself could do, could ever destroy you. Because God is for you. What an encouraging thought that is. That no matter what we face in life, if God is on our side, we are on the winning side. That was the promise that David claimed in this time that he was 
tempted to be afraid. And so now we come to our last point. And it is the point. We've had the people, we've had the prayer, we've had the praise, we've had the promise. Here's the point. I draw your attention now to verse number 11. He reiterates something something he said in verse number 3, Psalm 56, verse 11. He said, In God have I put my trust. Here was the conclusion. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. God's word is reliable. God's plan is perfect and he's on my side. So it doesn't matter who says what or who does what. I will not be afraid. Notice that David here is making a choice of his will. He was not going to give in to the temptation to fear. He was not going to let that consume his life. He was going to trust God. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. I In God have I put my trust. That was his decision. Verse 4, In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. Now turn in your Bibles to the book, New Testament book of Matthew. And let's make a, a specific application now of what David is discussing here and how to fix our fear. Matthew chapter 10 Matthew chapter 10, look at verse 28, Matthew 10, 28, and fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather Fear him which is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Here's the point. Do not fear man or anything else, but fear God. When we say fear God, we don't mean be frightened of God so that you avoid him. The idea of fearing the Lord means you take God seriously. You don't treat God with a flippant attitude. You're not cavalier about your relationship with God, how you talk about God and what you believe about God. You take God seriously. And that means a healthy respect because you do understand that God is a holy and a righteous God who judges sin and will not tolerate it in the life of His children. So yes, there's a certain aspect of which you have a healthy fear of facing the chastening hand of God. But it doesn't stop you from having a close personal relationship with Him. Do not fear man, but instead fear God. Now regarding the fear of man especially, here's something that you need to understand. A principle is given in Proverbs 29 verse 25. The fear of man bringeth a snare. But whoso putteth his trust in the Lord is safe. The fear of man bringeth a snare, but whoso putteth his trust in the Lord is safe. Whenever you give in to the temptation to fear man, you are putting yourself in a trap. 
a snare. The fear of man traps you in many ways. It traps you, first of all, in insecurity. There are a lot of people who are, who are struggling in their Christian life and a lot of their problem boils down to insecurity. They are too worried about what other people might think and say about them. Now, turn to Mark 11 and I want to show you where Jesus used this principle, the fear of man bringeth a snare, to trap some people who were trying to trap him. Mark chapter 11. Look at verse 27. The Bible says, And they come again to Jerusalem, and he was walking in the temple. And there came to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, and saying to him, By what authority doest thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? Jesus answered and said unto them, I will also ask of you one question, and answer me. And I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. And they reasoned with themselves, saying, verse 31, If we shall say from heaven, he will say, Why then did ye not believe him? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people. For all men counted John that he was a prophet. And they answered and said unto Jesus, We cannot tell. And Jesus answering said unto them, Neither do I tell you by what authority I do these things. You see what Jesus did here? They came to Jesus trying to trap him asking him, what gives you the right to do all these things you're doing and say all these things that you're saying? Who gave you the authority to do this? Jesus said, I'll answer your question after you answer a question for me. And he poses what should have been a simple question to them, these, these religious leaders. The baptism of John, was it from heaven or was it of men? That seems like a simple question. You and I would say, from heaven, right? But not, that wasn't so easy for these religious leaders. And we get their inner dialogue here and their deliberation between one another. They said, well, if we say from heaven, then he's going to ask us why we didn't believe him because John said he was the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. So we can't say of heaven because then we would admit who Jesus is. But on the other hand, if we say of men, we're afraid of what everybody else might say or do. And so their answer was, we can't tell you. And Jesus said, well, if you're not going to answer my question, I'm not going to answer yours. Jesus used their fear of men to, to trap them, to ensnare them, illustrating to us the point of Proverbs 29, 25, that when we live in fear of man, it traps us. When we're always worried about what some people might think or say or do, instead of fearing God, we are going to be trapped in insecurity. We're going to be trapped many times in disobedience. Instead of doing what God wants us to do, we will be worried about doing what other people think we should do or say we should do. We're going to be trapped not only in insecurity and in disobedience, but we're going to be ultimately trapped in a life of defeat living a substandard Christian life below the level that God wants us to because we're more worried about pleasing man than pleasing God. 
In Galatians 1.10, Paul said, For now, do I persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet pleased men, I should not be the servant of Christ. You can't live to please people and be living to please God. That's not how it works. You can't do it. The point is, stop fearing man. Start trusting God. Now for David, that was what he needed to be reminded of. And the Holy Spirit led him to write Psalm 56, that song. A song that for David was a prayer and was praise. But it was also a declaration of his determination. I'm going to trust God. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Whatever you're going through throughout your life, in those times that you're tempted to be afraid, maybe you have a circumstance that's right in front of you and it's frightening you. Maybe there's a person in your life you're scared of what they might do to you. Maybe there's someone you're afraid of what they might say or think of you. Or maybe it's just an unknown that you're tempted to be afraid of what could happen. Remember, what time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. Don't fear, man, what people might say or do or think. Don't fear anything except God and trust Him. With heads bowed and eyes closed this evening. When I was a child, I was a very fearful child. I really was. Practically afraid of my own shadow. Had a horrible fear of the dark. And in our house, we had hanging on the wall, Joshua 1.9 cross-stitched on a piece of cloth. It says, Have not I commanded thee, be strong and of a good courage. Be not afraid. And I can remember many, many times that I would be almost overcome with fright about something. And I would quote that verse to myself over and over and over and over and over and over again. I know what it is to deal with fear. And what I've learned, that I know many of you have learned too, is that as you get older, fear doesn't go away. Because now you have grown-up fears. Things that are much bigger and much scarier. And the truth of that verse and the truth of Scripture is one that God is constantly reminding me of. And I want to encourage you with tonight. What time you are afraid, trust in Him. Heavenly Father, thank You for being there with us never leaving us nor forsaking us. Thank you that even in the most frightening times, when we are tempted to let fear rule our hearts, that you are with us and you are for us, and that we can come to you for comfort and strength 
for that spirit of power and love and of a sound mind that you have given us. May we not be ruled by fear, be it the fear of man or anything else, but may we trust you. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.